0: Chapter 1 of Book 2 of Magna Moralia by Aristotle. Translated by St. George Stock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Chapter 1. After this, we must inquire into equity. What is it? And what is its field and sphere? the equitable man with his equity is he who is inclined to take less than his legal rights there are matters in which it is impossible for the lawgiver to enter into exact details in defining and where he has to content himself with a general statement when then a man gives way in these matters and chooses those things which the lawgiver would have wished indeed to determine in detail but was not able to such a man is equitable. It is not the way with him to take less than what is just absolutely, for he does not fall short of what is naturally and really just, but only of what is legally just in matters which the law left undetermined for want of power. Chapter 2. Considerateness and the considerate man have to do with the same things as equity, with points of justice that have been omitted by the lawgiver owing to the inexactness of his definitions the considerate man criticizes the omissions of the lawgiver and knows that though things have been omitted by the lawgiver they are nevertheless just such is the considerate man now considerateness is not found apart from equity to the considerate man it belongs to judge and to the equitable man to act in accordance with the judgment chapter three good counsel is concerned with the same things as wisdom dealing with matters of action which concern choice and avoidance and it is not found apart from wisdom for wisdom leads to the doing of these things while good counsel is a state or disposition or whatever you are pleased to call it, which leads to the attainment of the best, and most expedient in matters of action. Hence, things that turn out right spontaneously do not seem to form the subject of good counsel. For where there is no reason which is on the lookout for what is best, you would not in that case say that a man to whom something turned out as it should be was well counselled, but lucky for things that go right without the judgment of reason are due to good luck is it the part of the just man to put himself on a level with everybody in his intercourse i mean in the way of becoming all things to all men surely not for this would seem to be the part of a flatterer and obsequious person but to suit his intercourse to the worth of each this would seem to be the part of the man who is absolutely just and virtuous here is also a difficulty that might be raised if doing injustice is hurting somebody voluntarily and with full knowledge of the person and the manner and the end and harm and injustice are in and concerned with good things it follows that the doer of injustice and the unjust man will know what kind of things are good and what bad but to know about these things is a peculiar property of the wise man and of wisdom the absurdity then follows that wisdom which is the greatest good is attendant upon the unjust man surely it will not be thought that wisdom is attendant upon the unjust man for the unjust man does not discern and is not able to judge between what is good in itself and what is good for him but makes a mistake but this is the province of wisdom to be able to take a right view of these things just as in matters of medicine we all know what is absolutely wholesome and what is productive of health that hellebore and an aperient and surgery and cautery are wholesome and productive of health and yet we do not possess the science of medicine for without it we no longer know what is good in particular cases just as the doctor knows for whom a given thing is good and when and in what disposition for herein the science of medicine displays itself now we may know things that are absolutely wholesome and yet not have the science of medicine attendant upon us and the same is the case with the unjust man that in an absolute sense autocracy and government and power are good he knows but whether they are good for him or not, or when, or in what condition, that is what he does not also know. But this is just the business of wisdom, so that wisdom does not attend upon the unjust man. For the goods which he chooses, and for which he commits injustice, are what are absolutely good, not what are good for him. For wealth and office are good in themselves, but for him perhaps they are not good for by obtaining wealth and office he will do much evil to himself and his friends for he will not be able to make a right use of office here also is a point which presents a difficulty and suggests inquiry can injustice be done to a bad man or not for if injustice consists in hurt and hurt in the deprivation of goods it would seem not to hurt him for the goods which he supposes to be good for him are not really so for office and wealth will hurt the bad man who is not able to make a right use of them if then they will hurt him by their presence he who deprives him of these would not seem to be doing him an injustice this kind of argument indeed will appear a paradox to the many for all think that they are able to use office and power and wealth But they are not right in this supposition. This is made plain by the lawgiver, for the lawgiver does not allow all to hold office, but there is a standard of age and means which must be possessed by him who is to hold office, implying that it is not possible for everyone to do so. If then someone were to make it a grievance that he does not hold office, or that he is not allowed to steer the ship, the answer would be well you have nothing in your soul of a kind which will enable you to hold office or steer the ship in the case of the body we see that those cannot be in good health who apply to themselves things that are absolutely good but if a man is to have his bad body in health he must first apply to it water and a low diet and when a man has his soul in a vicious state in order that he may not work any ill must we not withhold him from wealth and office and power and things of that sort generally the more so as soul is easier to move and more ready to change than body for as the man whose body was bad was fit to be dieted in that way so the man whose soul is bad is fit to live thus without having any things of this sort this also presents a difficulty for instance when it is not possible at the same time to do brave and just acts which is one to do now in the case of the natural virtues we said that there existed only the impulse to write without reason but he who has choice has it in reason and the rational part so that as soon as choice is present perfect virtue will be there which we said was accompanied by wisdom but not without the natural impulse to write nor will one virtue run counter to another for its nature is to obey the dictates of reason so that it inclines to that to which reason leads for it is this which chooses the better for the other virtues do not come into existence without wisdom nor is wisdom perfect without the other virtues but they cooperate in a way with one another, attending upon wisdom. Nor less will the following present itself as a difficulty. Is it in the case of the virtues as it is in the case of the other goods, whether external or bodily? For these, when they run to excess, make men worse. For instance, when wealth becomes great, it makes men supercilious and disagreeable and so also with the other goods office honour beauty stature is it then thus in the case of virtue also so that if one comes to have justice or courage to excess he will be worse surely not but it will be said from virtue comes honour and when honour becomes great it makes men worse so that it is evident that virtue when progressing to a great extent, will make men worse. For virtue is the cause of honour, so that virtue also, if it becomes great, will make men worse. Surely this cannot be true. For virtue, though it may have many other functions, as it has, has this among the most special, to be able to make a right use of these, and the like goods, when they are there. If therefore the good man, on their coming to him, high honour, or high office shall not make a right use of these it shows that he is not a good man therefore neither honour nor office will make the good man worse so that neither will virtue but generally since it was laid down by us at the start that the virtues are mean states it follows that the more any state is a virtue the more it is a mean so that not only will virtue as it becomes great not make a man worse but it will make him better for the mean in question was found to be the mean between excess and defect in the passions so much then for these matters chapter four after this we must make a new start and speak about self-control and its opposite but as the virtue and the vice are themselves of a strange nature so the discussion which will ensue about them must necessarily be strange also. For this virtue is not like the rest. For in the rest reason and passion have an impulse towards the same objects and are not opposed to one another. But in the case of this reason and passion are opposed to one another. There are three things in the soul in respect of which we are called bad. Vice, incontinence, brutality, about virtue and vice then their nature and their sphere we have spoken above but now we must speak about incontinence and brutality chapter five. brutality is a kind of excessive vice for when we see someone utterly degraded we say that he is not even a man but a brute implying that there is a vice of brutality now the virtue opposed to this is without a name but this sort of thing is above man a kind of heroic and divine virtue but this virtue is without a name because virtue does not belong to god for god is superior to virtue and it is not in the way of virtue that his goodness lies for if it were virtue would be better than god for this reason the virtue which is opposed to the vice of brutality is without a name but the usual antithesis to this kind of vice is divine and superhuman virtue for as the vice of brutality transcends man so also does the virtue opposed to it chapter six but with regard to incontinence in self-control we must first state the difficulties and the arguments which run counter to appearances in order that having viewed the matter together from the point of view of the difficulties and counter arguments and having examined these we may see the truth about them so far as possible for it will be more easy to see the truth in that way now socrates of old used to annul and deny incontinence altogether saying that no one would choose evil who knew it to be such but the incontinent seems while knowing things to be bad to choose them all the same letting himself be led by passion owing to such considerations he did not think that there was incontinence but there he was wrong for it is absurd that conviction of the truth of this argument should lead to the annulment of a fairly established fact for men do display lack of self-control and do things which they themselves know to be bad since then there is such a thing as lack of self-control does the incontinent possess some knowledge whereby he views and examines his bad acts but again this would not seem so for it would be strange that the strongest and surest thing in us should be vanquished by anything for knowledge is of all things in us the most permanent and the most constraining so that this argument again runs counter to their being knowledge is it then not knowledge but opinion but if the incontinent man only has opinion he will not be blameworthy for if he does something bad with respect to which he has no exact knowledge but only an opinion one would make allowances for his siding with pleasure and doing what is bad if he does not know for certain that it is bad but only has an opinion and those for whom we make allowances we do not blame so that the incontinent if he only has opinion will not be to blame but he is to blame such arguments then land us in difficulties for one denied knowledge on the ground of absurd consequences and the other again denied opinion on the ground that there were absurd consequences from that also Here is also a difficulty that might be raised. It is held that the temperate man is also self-controlled. Will this involve the temperate man's having vehement appetites? If then he is to be self-controlled it will be necessary for him to have vehement appetites. For you would not speak of a man as self-controlled who masters moderate appetites. But if he is to have vehement appetites in that case he will not be temperate for the temperate is he who does not display appetite or feeling at all the following considerations again present a difficulty for it results from the statements that the man who lacks self-control is sometimes praiseworthy and the man who possesses it blameworthy for let it be supposed it may be said that some one has gone wrong in his reasoning and let it appear to him as the result of his reasoning that what is right is wrong but let appetite lead him to the right then reason indeed will forbid his doing it but being led by appetite he does it for such we found was the incontinent man he will therefore do what is right supposing that appetite leads him thereto but reason will try to hinder him for let it be supposed that he is mistaken in his reasoning about right it follows that he will be lacking in self-control and yet be praiseworthy, for in so far as he does what is right, he is praiseworthy. The result, then, is a paradox. Again, on the other hand, let his reason be mistaken, and let what is right not seem to him to be so, but let appetite lead him to the right. Now, he is self controlled who, though he has an appetite for a thing, yet does not act upon it owing to reason therefore if his reason is wrong it will hinder him from doing what he has an appetite for therefore it hinders him from doing what is right for to that we suppose that his appetite led him but he who fails to do what is right when it is his duty to do it is blameworthy therefore the man of self-control will sometimes be blameworthy in this way then also the result is a paradox A difficulty might also be raised as to whether lack of self-control and the incontinent man display themselves in and about everything for instance property and honour and anger and glory for people seem to be deficient in self-control with regard to all these things or whether they do not but lack of self-control has a certain definite sphere the above then are the points which present a difficulty but it is necessary to solve these difficulties first then that which is connected with knowledge for it appeared to be an absurdity that one who possessed knowledge should cast it from him or fall away from it but the same reasoning applies also to opinion for it makes no difference whether it is opinion or knowledge for if opinion is intensely firm and unalterable by persuasion it will not differ at all from knowledge opinion carrying with it the belief that things are as people opine them to be for instance heraclitus of ephesus has this sort of opinion about his own dogmas but there is no paradox in the incontinent man's doing something bad whether he has knowledge or opinion such as we describe for there are two ways of knowing one of which is the possessing knowledge for we say that one knows when he possesses knowledge the other is putting the knowledge into operation he then who possesses the knowledge of right but does not operate with it is incontinent when then he does not operate with this knowledge it is nothing surprising that he should do what is bad though he possesses the knowledge for the case is the same as that of sleepers for they though they possess the knowledge nevertheless in their sleep both do and suffer many disgusting things for the knowledge is not operative in them. So it is in the case of the incontinent, for he seems like one asleep, and does not operate with his knowledge. Thus then is the difficulty solved, for the difficulty was whether the incontinent man at the moment of action expels his knowledge, or falls away from it, both of which appear paradoxical. But again the thing may be made manifest in this way, as we said in the analytics, that the syllogism consists of two premises and that of these the first is universal while the second is subsumed under it and is particular for instance i know how to cure anyone with a fever this man has a fever therefore i know how to cure this man now there are things which i know with the knowledge of the universal but not with that of the particular here then also mistake becomes possible to the man who possesses the knowledge for instance how to cure any one with a fever whether however a given person has a fever i do not know similarly then in the case of the incontinent man who possesses the knowledge the same mistake will arise for it is possible for the incontinent man to possess the knowledge of the universal that such and such things are bad and hurtful but yet not to know that these particular things are bad so that while possessing knowledge in this way he will go wrong for he has the universal knowledge but not the particular neither then in this way is it at all a surprising result in the case of the incontinent man that he who has the knowledge should do something bad for it is so in the case of persons who are drunk for those who are drunk when the intoxication has passed off are themselves again reason was not expelled from them nor was knowledge but it was overcome by the intoxication but when they have got rid of the intoxication they are themselves again so then it is with the incontinent his passion gains the mastery and brings his reasoning to a standstill but when the passion like the intoxication has been got rid of he is himself again there was another argument touching incontinence which presented a difficulty as seeming to show that the man who lacks self-control will sometimes be praiseworthy and the man who possesses it blameworthy but this is not the case for the man who is deceived in his reason is neither continent nor incontinent but only he who possesses right reason and thereby judges of right and wrong and it is the man who disobeys this kind of reason who lacks self-control while he who obeys it and is not led by his appetites is self-controlled if a man does not think it disgraceful to strike his father and has a desire to strike him but abstains from doing so he is not a man of self-control so that since there is neither self-control nor its opposite in such cases neither will lack of self-control be praiseworthy nor self-control blameworthy in the way that was thought there are forms of incontinence which are morbid and others which are due to nature for instance such as these are morbid there are some people who pluck their hairs and nibble them if one masters this pleasure then he is not praiseworthy nor blameworthy if he fails to do so or not very much as an instance of incontinence due to nature we may take the story of a son who was brought to trial in court for beating his father and who defended himself by saying why he did so to his own father and what's more who was acquitted for the judge's thought that his going wrong was due to nature if then one were to master the impulse to beat his father he is not praiseworthy it is not then such forms of incontinence or continence as these of which we are now in search but those for which we are called blameworthy or praiseworthy without qualification of goods some are external as wealth office honour friends glory others necessary and concerned with the body for instance touch and taste he then who is incontinent with respect to these would appear to be incontinent without qualification and bodily pleasures and the incontinence of which we are in search would seem to be concerned with just these and the difficulty was about the sphere of incontinence as regards honour then a man is not incontinent without qualification for he who is incontinent with regard to honour is praised in a way as being ambitious and generally when we call a man incontinent in the case of such things we do it with some addition incontinent as regards honour, or glory, or anger. But when a man is incontinent in the strict sense, we do not add the sphere, it being assumed in his case, and being manifest without the addition, what the sphere is. For he who is incontinent in the strict sense has to do with the pleasures and pains of the body. It is evident also from the following consideration that incontinence has to do with these things for since the incontinent man is blameworthy the subject-matter of his incontinence ought also to be blameworthy now honour and glory and office and riches and the other things with respect to which people are called incontinent are not blameworthy whereas bodily pleasures are blameworthy therefore reasonably enough the man who is concerned with these more than he ought is called incontinent in the complete sense among the so-called incontinences with respect to other things that which is concerned with anger is the most blameworthy but which is more blameworthy this or incontinence with regard to pleasures now incontinence with regard to anger resemble servants who are eager to minister to one's needs for they when the master says give me are carried away by their eagerness and before they hear what they ought to give give something and give the wrong thing for often when they ought to give a book they give a pen something like this is the case with the man who cannot control his anger for passion as soon as it hears the first mention of injury starts up to take vengeance without waiting to hear whether it ought or ought not or not so vehemently this sort of impulse then to anger which appears to be incontinence of anger is not greatly to be blamed but the impulse to pleasure is blameworthy for this latter differs from the former owing to the injunction of reason to abstain which it nevertheless acts against for which reason it is more blameworthy than incontinence due to anger for incontinence due to anger is a pain for no one feels anger without being pained but that which is due to appetite is attended with pleasure for which reason it is more blameworthy for incontinence due to pleasure seems to involve wantonness are self-control and endurance the same thing surely not for self-control has to do with pleasures and the man of self-control is he who masters pleasures but endurance has to do with pains for the man of endurance is he who endures and undergoes pains again lack of self-control and softness are not the same thing for the soft person with his softness is he who does not undergo pains not all of them but such as any one else would undergo if he had to whereas the man who lacks self-control is he who is not able to endure pleasures but succumbs to them and lets himself be led by them again there is another character who is called intemperate is the intemperate then the same with the incontinent surely not for the intemperate is the kind of man who thinks that what he does is best and most expedient for himself and who has no reason opposing the things which appear pleasant to himself whereas the incontinent does possess reason which opposes his going in pursuit of those things to which his appetite leads. But which is more curable, the intemperate or the incontinent? On first sight, indeed, it might seem that it is not the incontinent. The intemperate, it may be urged, is more easy to cure. For if reason could be engendered in him, to teach him that things are bad, he will leave off doing them, but the incontinent man has reason and yet acts as he does so that such a person would seem to be incurable but on the other hand which is in the worst condition he who has no good at all or he who has some good joined with these evils plainly the former the more so inasmuch as it is the more valuable part that is in a bad condition the incontinent man then does possess a good in his reason being right while the intemperate does not again reason is the principle in each now in the incontinent the principle which is the most valuable thing is in a good condition but in the intemperate in a bad so that the intemperate will be worse than the incontinent again like the vice of brutality of which we spoke you cannot see it in a beast but only in a human being. For brutality is a name for excess of vice. Why so? Just because a beast has in it no bad principle. Now the principle is reason. For which would do more evil? A lion, or Dionysius, or Phalares, or Clearchus, or some of those monsters of wickedness? Plainly the latter. For their having in them a principle which is at the same time a bad principle contributes greatly to their powers of mischief but in the beast there is no principle at all in the intemperate then there is a bad principle for inasmuch as he does bad acts and reason assents to these and it seems to him that he ought to do these things there is in him a principle which is not a sound one wherefore the incontinent would seem to be better than the intemperate there are two species of incontinence one in the way of precipitancy and want of forethought a kind that comes on suddenly for instance when we see a beautiful woman we are at once affected in some way and from the affection there ensues an impulse to do something which perhaps we ought not the other a sort of weakness but attended with reason which warns against action now the former would not seem to be very blameworthy for this kind occurs even in the good in those who are of warm temperament and of a rich natural endowment but the other in the cold and atrabilious and such are blameworthy again one may avoid being affected by fortifying oneself beforehand with the thought there will come a pretty woman so one must repress oneself so that if he has fortified himself beforehand with a thought of this kind he whose incontinence is due to the suddenness of the impression will not be affected at all nor do anything wrong but he who knows indeed from reason that he ought not but gives into pleasure and succumbs to it, is more blameworthy. The good man would never become incontinent in that way, and fortification by reason would be no cure for it, for this is the guide within the man, and yet he does not obey it, but gives in to pleasure, and succumbs with a contemptible sort of weakness. Whether the temperate man is self-controlled was raised as a difficulty above, but now let us speak of it yes the temperate man is also self-controlled for the man of self-control is not merely he who when he has appetites in him represses these owing to reason but also he who is of such a kind that though he has not appetites in him he would repress them if they did arise but it is he who has not bad desires and who has his reason right with respect to these things who is temperate while the man of self-control is he who has bad desires, and who has his reason right with regard to these things, so that self-control will go along with temperance, and the temperate will be self-controlled, but not the self-controlled temperate. For the temperate is he who does not feel passion, while the self-controlled man is he who does feel passion, or is capable of feeling it, but subdues it but neither of these is actually the case with the temperate wherefore the self-controlled is not temperate but is the intemperate incontinent or the incontinent intemperate or does neither follow on the other for the incontinent is he whose reason fights with his passions but the intemperate is not of this sort but he who in doing base deeds has the consent of his reason neither then is the intemperate like the incontinent nor the incontinent like the intemperate further the intemperate is worse than the incontinent for what comes by nature is harder to cure than what results from habit for the reason why habit is held to be so strong is that it turns things into nature the intemperate then is in himself the kind of man who is bad by nature owing to which and as a result of which the reason in him is bad but not so the incontinent it is not true of him that his reason is not good because he is himself such for he must needs have been bad if he were of himself by nature such as the bad the incontinent then seems to be bad by habit but the intemperate by nature therefore the intemperate is the harder to cure for one habit is dislodged by another but nothing will dislodge nature but seeing that the incontinent is the kind of man who knows and is not deceived in his reason while the wise man also is of the same kind who views everything by right reason is it possible for the wise man to be incontinent surely not for though one might raise the foregoing difficulties yet if we keep consistent with our former statements the wise man will not be incontinent for we said that the wise man was not merely he in whom right reason exists but he who also does what appears in accordance with right reason to be best now if the wise man does what is best the wise man will not be incontinent but an incontinent man may be clever for we distinguished above between the clever and the wise as being different, for though their spheres are the same, yet the one does what he ought, and the other does not. It is possible then for the clever man to be incontinent, for he does not succeed in doing what he ought, but it is not possible for the wise man to be incontinent. And of chapter 6 of book 2. Recording in memory of Mitchell Edwards